Last month, I was in Chicago for some meetings, and after the meetings were done, I, I made my way to O'Hare Airport, and I was just walking in the doors of the airport when suddenly I was approached by a guy who said that he, he needed some help. He specifically said that he needed $15 so that he could take a taxi ride from the airport to the suburbs where he lived. Now, I, I found the story to be a little bit suspicious. It just seemed to be odd to be asking for money at an airport. And then the amount he wanted seemed like a fair amount. And, and so I began to ask some more questions about it. I said, well, how did you get here? Because I don't know that you could walk to O'Hare. I think you have to be dropped off or whatever. And he said, well, I was bringing a friend of mine. She was flying out today and I, I, I wasn't paying attention and they towed my car while I was parked out front. And I began to wrestle with this then. Was this going to be an opportunity for me to help someone, for me to serve someone, for me to give to someone, or was this an opportunity for me to be taken advantage of? And I began to wrestle with that. What would be the Christian thing to do under these circumstances? Now, I could think of lots of reasons why I didn't want to help him. First of all, I suspected it wasn't completely true. I thought it was probably a scam of some kind. And the reason I thought that is because you can't take a taxi to the suburbs for $15 in Chicago. You might be able to get across the street, but I know even if you take an Uber, it's going to be $28. And so the story didn't quite add up, but maybe he didn't know, you know. And then second, I thought, even if he's telling the truth, and this really happened to him, he deserves it. There are signs all over out there, don't leave your car here. There are police that go around all the time, and they're moving people, and and he should have known better. And so sometimes I just think, you know, you just need to learn a little bit of a lesson here. And so that thought occurred to me. Third, I, I really wanted to get to my gate. This guy was kind of holding me up. And although I was there with plenty of time, I was just a little anxious about, you know, until I'm standing at the gate and I read that I'm headed to the right place and everything else, I can't just kind of settle in. And so I really just wanted to get going. And this guy was holding me up and then fourth, I had some cash, but it was in one of my bags, not in my wallet. And I thought if I'm going to help him, I've got to find the cash and this and that. Now, I want to ask you, how many of you would have helped him? I'm just curious here. How many of you would have helped him? He said, I'm going to, I'm going to help this guy. Not, not, uh, not a, a ton of you here. Let me tell you what I ended up doing. I ended up giving him $5. The thought occurred to me that if the guy is legit, that he could talk to a few other people and he'll make up the difference. And so I was helping him, but he can do the rest of the work. Second, if it was a scam, I'm only out $5. Now, I've been asked before many times this question when somebody is in need, you know, when you pull up to a light or whatever and someone's asking for money or whatever, should we help or should we not? And I think it's a valid question. My answer is that I would err on the side of generosity. My thought was in helping this guy with the $5, 
that God would bless me for, for, my, for the kindness, and if, if he was telling a lie, God would take care of him. And, and so there really wasn't much that could be lost, although none of us like to be taken advantage of. Now, some of you have soft hearts, and you're going to help everybody. Uh, there are others of you that um, won't help anybody. You're skeptical of any request or whatever, and then most of us are probably somewhere in the middle. I want to acknowledge up front here that sometimes it's not good to help. There's actually a book out there titled, When Helping Hurts. Sometimes you're not helping someone by helping them. By serving them, you're not really helping them. By giving to them, you're not really helping them. Sometimes that's the case. Also, sometimes the cost is, is pretty great. You've got to show some wisdom. I know two people who picked up hitchhikers, and both of them almost lost their lives. In the one case, the guy pulled a knife and stabbed him with it. In the other case, the guy had a gun, and he was able to bail out of the car before something worse happened. And so it's not like when we say no to certain opportunities that we're being cold-hearted or whatever. Wisdom sometimes says, is this, is this the thing to do or not? And sometimes we say yes, and sometimes we say no. But as we're going to see here today, I think our heartbeat should be to serve others when we see needs and to step in there and help that our hearts should be moved with compassion when we see needs. At the very least, it should be moved with compassion. Even if sometimes we say, I can't help you, our hearts should be moved. Now, today I want to look at a parable that I know is familiar to many of you. A lot of you have heard this story before. It's one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever told, although I hope to... Um, put out some ideas that you haven't thought of or at least answer some questions that you might have about this parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, as it's called. It's found in Luke chapter 10. And I'd like us to begin reading in verse 25. Luke 10, beginning in verse 25. We read, just then, an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. Now, let me stop for a moment and say, this is the kind of story that gives ministers heartburn. I don't like Jesus' answer. Now, I have concluded that when Jesus has a different answer than I do, he's right. But I don't, I don't like the answer he gave. The guy asked the question, what must I do to get eternal life? We would word it this way, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And what's, what's the right answer? Well, the right answer is you put your trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior. The right answer is there's nothing you can do. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. None of us are good enough. We need a deliverer. We need a savior. And it's why Jesus came into this world. And so when the guy asked, what do I need to do to get eternal life? I would have preferred if Jesus said, make me the object of your trust. Put your trust in me for your eternal destiny. But that's not what he said. He first of all flipped the question around to the guy. He wanted to get the guy to answer his own question. Well, you read the Old Testament law. What does it say? How, how do you get eternal life? 
based on your reading of the Old Testament. And the guy said, well, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then again, Jesus said, that's right. Now again, I'm a little bothered by that, except as I think about it, I realize that is right. Jesus' answer was actually quite brilliant, what he did with this. His answer is right. If you could love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, if you could do it 100% of the time with all of your heart, you would go to heaven. That is right. But who can do it? And in flipping around the question, this lawyer was smart enough to realize he had just indicted himself, and so he was looking for a loophole. We read about it in verse 29, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I suspect that this lawyer thought of somebody that he had not loved very well, someone that he did not treat the way he would like to be treated, someone he didn't love as much as he loved himself, somebody he, he had wronged in some way, and he justified it in his mind by saying, yeah, but you're not really a neighbor. I, I know I need to love my neighbor as myself, but you're not, you're not really a neighbor. You're an outsider. So he, I think he justified why he didn't do what Jesus said he was supposed to do to get eternal life. But he knew it was a problem. And I think that was the right conclusion to decide, I, I got a little bit of a problem here, you know? I mean, if you asked me the question, how do you get to heaven? I'd say, live a perfect life. It'd have the same effect. You'd say, uh, I got a little issue with that. Is there another answer? And it's Jesus. But anyway, he asked Jesus the question, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus proceeded to tell this familiar story, beginning in verse 30. Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The man who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. The road that went from Jerusalem to Jericho was 17 miles long, so it was a, a, a significant distance that you had to go. It was, a, it was a road that went through a wilderness area, a desert area, and also among rocks, and it would have turned this way and turned that way just following the contour of the topography as you went along, and it was a very dangerous route. It descended 3,300 feet from Jerusalem to Jericho. But it was so dangerous, according to Dr. Vincent, 
The road from Jerusalem to Jericho passed through a wilderness which was so notorious for robberies and murders that a portion of it was called the Red or Bloody Way. And so everyone knew that this was a dangerous road. As our story begins, you have a guy that's attacked. He was, in the story, Jewish, although it doesn't say so. He was, he was a Jewish man. He was attacked by robbers, and it says they took his clothing. That seems like an odd detail, but in Bible times, clothing was wealth. Remember how even Jesus, before he was nailed to the cross, they took his outer garment and they cast lots for it because it was valuable, it was worth something. And so they took the guy's clothing, they beat him up, and the text indicates they left him half dead. Now these guys weren't just robbers, they were violent criminals. They weren't just into stealing, they, they caused great harm. And in, in some ways, this story of, of the Good Samaritan is a story of three different responses to the needs of others. You know, how do we look at other people? How do we love other people? This first group are these violent men. They have no regard for human life. And there are people out there these days, I think, that have no regard for human life violent people who hurt others. It's the absolute opposite of what Jesus is talking about. That we should love other people, love your neighbor as yourself, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not gonna attack the person. But that's the first group. And then you've got these priests that are walking along, and, and the priests saw the situation, but they did nothing about it. They, they just went on their way. They ignored the problem, and that's often what happens as well. And then, of course, the third person is, is the hero of the story, the Samaritan. He stopped and helped. He helped. He was the one that was considered the neighbor. He saw a need and helped out. Those are the three responses we tend to have to issues, uh, problems that we face, needs of other people. So let's talk about the three groups for a moment. The priest happened along the same road, heading to Jericho. History records that in the time of Jesus, Jericho had almost as many priests in it as Jerusalem. And so this is where a lot of priests lived, and what would happen is your, your number would come up by lot, and you would make the trip from Jericho to Jerusalem, and you'd serve at the temple. Now, as I think of this story, I'm reading into it just a little bit here, but I think that this priest was coming off of what I'd call a spiritual high. He'd been serving in the temple. Presumably, he was listening to worship music all day long with the singers positioned in various places. He was someone who was exposed to the teaching of the Word of God in the temple. He was someone who was serving and helping other people, serving God. And so you would think that someone who had, had been through such an experience, what a privilege to serve at this temple, would be walking home and they would be in a spiritually good place so that when they saw a need, they would care. But the guy didn't care. Now, people have tried to explain why he didn't stop and help. Some have suggested that he was afraid he would become unclean because in Bible times, a priest was not allowed to associate with a dead person or else they become unclean. They wouldn't be fit to do their duties. And so some have suggested either the guy he thought was dead or was going to die and he didn't want to touch him and defile himself. Others have thought, well, maybe he just thought if I stop and help, I'll be attacked as well. We don't know the reason why, although I want to suggest that the main reason, I think, is a, is a heart issue. 
Oftentimes when we see a need, but we don't help out, when we don't serve, it's for one of these three reasons. There may be other reasons, but it's often for one of these three. Number one is that this is not my problem. I think this isn't my responsibility. You, you see the need there, but that's somebody else's problem. I can imagine the priest walking by thinking, bummer being that guy. I'm glad that's not me. Never occurred to him that, that if he were in a similar situation, he would be begging for someone, please help me. But it wasn't him. It was somebody else, and it's somebody else's problem. And often that's the case. This isn't my responsibility. This isn't my problem. Second, I think we, we think it'll cost too much. I think sometimes we think serving doesn't come with a cost. It's supposed to cost. Whether it's the time or the money that the Samaritan put into it, there's often a cost involved. And, and this is to follow the example of our Savior Jesus. Mark 10, 45, one of my verses in the Bible, we read, for even the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. A ransom for many. If there were any person that would have had the right to be served in this life, it'd be Jesus, the Son of God and God the Son, our Creator. Comes to this world, everybody should be serving him, but he clothed himself with the mindset, I'm coming to serve, I'm coming to lay down my life. I love how Paul puts it in the book of Philippians. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be held onto, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient all the way to the cross, death on the cross. And so there was a cost involved, and there often is a cost involved. And often we say no because the cost is too high. The third reason we don't do it many times is I think the problem that both the priest and the Levite had, I don't care. I don't think we're moved many times. And I confess this is me sometimes. I see a need, and my first thought is, well, you, you, you are in your situation because you deserve it, instead of having a heart that says, this has got to be hard for you. That should be my first response. Do I care? These two guys didn't have any compassion on this guy. And so the priest passed by. The second one, of course, was the Levite in verse 32. It says, in the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed on the other side. Levites were part of one of the family lines of Israel, the family line of Levi, from which Aaron, the brother, brother of Moses, came. And, and the Levites were ones who served with the priests at the temple. And so, again, it was a great privilege. And once again, these guys would have experienced probably the same spiritual high. They're in the center of, of, of all the religious activity and praising God and hearing the word of God and, and, and serving. And then he's walking back. And there's an extra phrase that's included in this verse that wasn't in, in the phrase related to the priest. It's just one verse. It says, in the same way a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him. A lot of commentators make the point that this means he actually walked over. He got closer. He saw the guy, he walked over to the place where the guy was, and then he turned back and walked over across on the other side. And so he got a little bit closer to helping, but he didn't help. And why didn't he help? 
It's not my responsibility. It's not my problem. It might cost me too much to get involved in this situation. Could cost me too much or I don't care. And then we get to the hero of the story in verse 33. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. So we come to the hero of the story. In the Greek language in which this story was told, the word Samaritan is in what's called the emphatic position. In other words, when he got to this part of the story, it would be like, and then a Samaritan, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. A Samaritan came along. Now, many of you know that in Bible times, Samaritans were hated by by the Jewish people. The two groups did not get along at all. They hated each other. Samaritans were Jews who had married non-Jews or Gentiles. They'd, they'd corrupted their family line, and so they weren't even really welcome there in Jerusalem, and so they had their own place in Samaria, these, these Samaritans. And, and so the two didn't like each other at all, and so Jesus is telling this story. A priest walked by, and a Levite walked by, and then a Samaritan. And at this point, I'm sure that the hairs on the back of his listeners stuck up immediately, like, what's he going to say? And Jesus made this guy the hero of the story. He did what was right. He saw this as his problem. I don't believe that he felt he had a choice. He was the neighbor. A neighbor is someone who's nigh. That's what the word means. You're nigh. He saw a situation that he could do something about something that was needed, and he saw it as his responsibility. I cannot just walk by and let this go. Second, of course, he was willing to pay the cost. It was going to take time, and it was going to take money, plus some other costs. And so he got out of the wine, and he dressed the guy's wounds to disinfect it. Then he put on the oil to soothe the guy's wounds, and then he put the guy on his own donkey, presumably meaning he had to walk. They get to the inn, and he has to go on his way, but he gives the guy two denarii. Now, a denarii or a denarius was a one day's wage for a typical laborer. In our modern times, if I were to kind of multiply this out, you think of a, if a typical laborer made, a skilled laborer made $20 an hour, and they worked eight to 10 hours, as they probably would have in that culture, the amount of money that he gave this innkeeper would be between $350 and $400. That's a lot of money. He gave this guy a lot of money. And then he said, take care of him, and I'm gonna come back this way. If there are additional expenses, I'm willing to pay it. And so he saw this as his problem, and he was willing to pay the cost But the one descriptive that's given of this guy that wasn't of the priest or the Levite was that it says he saw the guy and had compassion. I think that's the heart of the the story. And I confess that sometimes I just don't have compassion. Other times I do. 
Sometimes I move with compassion to help, sometimes I'm not. But let's get to the conclusion of the story in verse 36. Jesus asked this question of this religious lawyer. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. What Jesus did here was really tricky. Uh, he flipped the question on the guy. The guy had asked the question, who is my neighbor? Who, who do I have to help out and who can I say no to? That's really what he was asking. Who are the people I'm required to show compassion to? Who is my neighbor? And, and Jesus flipped it around to say, it's not about who your neighbor is, it's about what kind of neighbor you are. Which one of these was a neighbor? Because that's what Jesus was challenging him to be. You be a neighbor. And I love the way he did this. A scholar by the name of R.H. Stein explains it this way. Jesus indicated that one should worry less about who a neighbor is than about being a good neighbor. What kind of neighbor am I? What kind of lover am I of people? To love them, my neighbor as myself. Am, am I the kind of person who will love whoever is nigh? as I love myself, as I see needs while I jump in there to meet those needs. Now, I have two main applications this morning. The first one is that in a general sense, as believers in Christ, we are called to do good in this world. We are Christ's ambassadors, and wherever we go, we're gonna be exposed to needs, and we have opportunities to make a difference in the lives of other people because of Jesus. You know, Jesus said, let your light shine in such a way that people will see your good deeds and then glorify your Father in heaven. And so we do these good deeds. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He says, for you are saved by grace through faith. Saved means to be delivered from the penalty of your sin. Grace is undeserved kindness. For you are delivered from the penalty of your sin by the kindness of God and you receive it through faith specifically in Jesus. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. He then writes, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. He says, when you put your faith in Christ and you became a child of God by the grace of God, you became a brand new creation and God wants to use you as a creation to walk within the realm of good works. It describes it kind of like a road here. It says, God has prepared these good deeds for us to do ahead of time and we should walk in them. And so I see kind of like this road that we're on, it's called good deeds. And as we walk along, we look for opportunities to meet needs of other people, to serve other people, to help out. Now, I admit this requires discernment requires discernment these days. Sometimes they help out, sometimes they don't. I think the default should be having a generous heart. But it does require some discernment here. But we're to be ones who do good deeds in this world. The second application is that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been given a spiritual gift and we have an obligation to use that gift to build up the rest of the body of Christ. It's specifically to be used in that way. Every Christian has been given a spiritual gift 
that's supposed to be used, and there are about 23 of them listed in the Bible, it's supposed to be used to build up the rest of the body of Christ so that this thing called the church, or Jesus' church, it's the one thing Jesus is building. I will build my church, Jesus said, until the very end. And Jesus wants a strong church, not a weak one. And so Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him belong the glory and power forever and ever. You've been given a spiritual gift and God wants to use that gift and empower you to strengthen the rest of the body of Christ. And so Romans talks about this and 1 Corinthians talks about this how we need to be strengthening Jesus' church, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so I see these two responsibilities. There is a responsibility we have outside the doors. At the same time, there's a responsibility within the doors. And part of the reason this is so important in terms of serving other people is that it is a key to our spiritual growth. It is one of the things that God uses to mature us in Christ. And so I want to close just again with a push for that serve board. It's on the wall out there to look at opportunities. You don't have to, by the way, commit to something. You could take a test drive. And after you check it out, you say, I don't like this, that's fine. That would be perfectly fine. Maybe you could try something else. Some of you, though, maybe won't ever go to that wall because maybe you're kind of shy. To, you don't want to talk to someone. So you can also go to the church website and there's an opportunity for you to request to get involved in something in that way as well. We hope that you will take advantage of that. And then I want to mention something else uh, that's coming up, kind of as an announcement here. Beginning March 15, we're going to have what's called Welcome to the Ridge. And this is going to be right after the service. And this is a place where you could go to find out maybe where you could serve as well. It's three Sundays in a row. It's right after this service. Food is provided. Child care is provided. It'll be about an hour long each of the weeks, I believe, or just a little bit more than that. So we don't want to keep you real long. But three weeks in a row. If you're interested in this, uh, we need to have you register for it so that we know how much food to get. Let me close with a story and then I'll pray. I read about a pastor that um, was really excited about the message he wanted to give because he felt like the, the church was ready to go from being just people that are watching to being people that were really serving, you know, becoming from observers to participants, that type of thing. And, and so he, he got hardly any sleep that night because he was so excited about this message. And when he came to deliver the message, he began by saying, you know, this church is crawling, but we could walk. We could walk. And someone in the congregation said, let the church walk, pastor. Let the church walk. And the guy was encouraged by that response. And so he continued. He says, once the church is, is walking, it could run. And someone shouted out again, let the church run, pastor. Let the church run. Encouraged, the pastor continued, he said, and once the church is running, it could soar. It could really fly. But for that to happen would require some commitment. Suddenly there was silence and then a soft voice in the back said, let the church crawl. 
I encourage you to count the cost. I encourage you to consider how God might want to use you to impact people here and outside our doors. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story that really illustrates what kind of neighbors we are supposed to be. We really want to be ones who have a heart to care, filled with compassion. Give us a heart of compassion. And also give us wisdom to know when to say yes and when to say no. It is a challenging thing sometimes. But we recognize we are a new creation and you've created us to do good works, to walk in the good works you've prepared ahead of us to do. Help us, O oh Lord, to grab a hold of this and recognize that we are indeed, like Jesus, called to serve. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.